Hey, it's Jed Hearn, host of Wizards, Warriors, and Words. If you're enjoying the writing advice on this show, you might like my new podcast, The Jed Hearn Show, where every week I share the best fantasy writing advice that I've learned from publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. There's over 12 episodes that you can listen to right away, including my top 10 fantasy books of all time, how to make fantasy names that don't suck, two rules that make writing effortless, and my complete summaries of Brandon Sanderson's and Neil Gaiman's writing classes, and much more. Check it out by searching for The Jed Hearn Show in your podcast app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors, and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of The Thunder Heist, and I am joined by my co-hosts, starting with Rob J. Hayes. Hi, I am Rob J. Hayes, author of The Heresy Within. Michael R. Fletcher. Hey, that's me, and I wrote this, which is a book about things and stuff, and has and dragons. It's not an advanced reader copy. Some people won't like it. Was <laughs> that an advanced reader copy, Mike? But oh, it is. Oh, yeah. This is actually out though. So, you know, maybe I'll next time I'll pay attention to what copy I grab. <laughs> it's a unadvanced reader copy. Super instead. slick. Well done. Um, Dirk Ashton is attending to painters in his house. Oh, he's back. He's back. <laughs> Just as we started recording. Perfect time. That's, that's a lovely pan. That was very cinematic of you. Um, very you should that work was, in Hollywood, that was a tilt, Rob. A tilt. I'm sorry. I don't know the technical Not term. Not all of us worked in Hollywood, Dirk. You gotta, you <laughs> this gotta be is nice a pan. To to this is a tilt. Nice. Uh, Dirk Ashton, you want to introduce yourself? We're just doing the uh, introductions. Hi, sorry, everybody. Uh, I'm Dirk Ashton, author of the Paternus Trilogy and All Around Knucklehead. Nice. And we are joined once again by the awesome Peter McLean. Peter, welcome back to the show. Hi, good to meet you. I'm Peter McLean, and I also wrote a book, well, several books, but that's the first one, Priest of Bones. Awesome stuff. Uh, and we're going to be digging into that in this episode. This episode is going to be uh, one of our interrogation-style shows, where we basically just fling a bunch of questions at Peter, uh, and we try to basically pin his whereabouts to Dirk Ashton's backyard at 8pm last night, for legal reasons. <laughs> um, so... Let's begin. Uh, no, we won't. We won't start with the with the criminal uh, alleged activities to begin with. We'll just focus on the fictional criminal activities of your characters to begin with, um, because I thought we could start by discussing the movie adaptation stuff that is happening uh, with your book. Yeah, um, it's actually a TV adaptation. So Sorry, TV adaptation. Yes. Priest, Priest of Bones, and the series has been optioned by Heyday Television. This was announced in uh, Deadline Hollywood last year. 
So they'll be making a, well, hopefully, hopefully they will be making a TV series based on the books. So a, a common misconception is optioned for television means filming a TV show. And it, it absolutely does not. It means somebody has bought the, the rights, the, the option to possibly turn it into a TV show if they so wish. So I, I don't know how much I can say, really. I don't really know what's going on. I know <laughs> a, a well-known screenwriter has been assigned to write the pilot, which is further than a lot of options get. So that's, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very pleased about that, obviously. I mean, that's a thing not many people know, but if, if a TV company is definitely going to make a thing, a lot of the time they will go and buy up all the options to everything else they can find that's remotely similar to their thing they're definitely going to make. So no, just purely so nobody else can. Or if it's something they think they might want to make, what might want to make one day in the future, they might buy an option and stick it on the shelf. And again, just so nobody else can. So we will see. But like I say, it's the fact that somebody is actually writing it means it's got a hell yeah, of a lot further that's than a, a really lot of good options sign. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I'm really pleased with that. Yeah, but we we will see. I mean, casting and all this sort of thing. We, we're nowhere near that yet. So. Sure. I don't, I don't know where we are, but... Well, I believe yeah. Mike is, is he... always available for acting gigs, so oh, if you guys I, I can I dare afford, say right. he is. Yeah, he can be, you know, spit area number three who dies in the first scene. I'm sure that, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, though, it, I think it makes a lot of sense that they'd, they'd pick, like, Priest of Bones, because it, it's got a lot of comparisons to shows like Peaky Blinders and the like. Yeah, I mean, you know, technically I write fantasy novels, but I don't really if we're honest about it i write gangster thrillers dressed up with some fantasy trappings on them because i like gangsters but nobody buys gangster books anymore no no I'd be, if i could get away with writing something like the godfather i'd do that but you just can't sell it you you can sell it to tv and when you say piggy blinders is hugely popular and mm. various other things but i mean book wise it just doesn't seem to be a thing anymore don't know why but but yeah, yeah i think it's it is quite adaptable I and mean, it's, it's written, as I say, as a thriller with thriller pacing. And it's not going to cost an arm and a leg like your Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones must have done. I mean, you could basically, between Edinburgh and Prague, that's your stage sets. It's as simple as that. <laughs> that is very quasi-historical kind of setting. So, you know, there's no dragons or orcs or anything like that. It's just people killing each other in the back streets of somewhere like Old Town Edinburgh. Good old-fashioned family fun. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How do you manage? Um, I just actually asked because I put out a call on Twitter for questions for this episode. And I think one person sent back how, asking, How does Peter uh, manage to write something that like a lot of people are going to compare to Peaky Blinders? And like, how do you sort of, I suppose, within yourself, like balance uh, a love and an inspiration from sort of the gangster genre versus like trying to do your own thing? And I don't know, how do you just sort of manage your homages and your interests I, I think it's oh, i do love a good homage i must admit when I mean, there's, there's bits from the godfather in there there's nice bits from casino <laughs> all that sort of thing that you know only fans of the genre are going to spot a lot of them and um I, I think because it it is fantasy it's got magic in it which obviously makes it very different and i mean Pinky blinders is the four brothers isn't it as, as the central characters but I mean, my main character has got a brother, but he's more of a liability liability than an ally. And his best mate in the world is a woman he served in the war with. So you know, it's kind of like you got different characters, and there's Billy the boy, who's um, 
was from Thomas's regiment. He's a young lad. Then nobody's quite sure how old he is. This a feral orphan they found in one of the cities they conquered, and he's the one that turns out to be able to do magic. And he's he's a creepy little sod. Basically, nobody understands him. He doesn't understand normal people, but he can do stuff, which is. Uh, Extremely, it turns out to be extremely useful when you're running a criminal em- empire and you've got a magician and your rival gang hasn't. Nice. So stuff like that. <laughs> it's, uh, you've got the fantastic elements in there, obviously. What is your favourite yeah. gangster movie? Oh, The Godfather. Both of them. There nice. are only two Godfather movies. It is no. <laughs> they were going to make a third one, but they didn't. Does so, not exist. Um, yeah, that's, that's my all-time favourite. But I mean, I, I like all of them. Really, Goodfellas is another. Goodfellas is probably my favourite, and I like, I like some of the old Jimmy Cagney stuff as well, and the old black and whites, and all of that. Love it, but after you, can, you can't top the Godfather, in my opinion. What about One the, the rest very, of you guys? very few times I will say the film is better than the book. Is the Godfather? Yeah, yeah cool. Fair and cool. the book's not bad, to be fair. Yeah. The book's pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. But it's, it's yeah. amazing how much they changed in the in the adaptation, and it nearly Still all very worked. much for the yeah, better. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Dark does. Superb couple of movies. So, would you say like more of the inspiration for uh, for Priest of Bones and the sequels comes from like film and television rather than? Oh, like- absolutely, absolutely that. I mean, when I well, um, when my agent was pitching it, we we came up with um, the Godfather with swords as the logline that we used to Are sell you? it to the publishers, and it's it's basically that's what it is. Because like yeah. I say, if you call if you call something a fantasy novel, people have got expectations of the genre, you know. Yep dragons and orcs and a long quest and great sweeping landscapes. I mean, the first book is all set in the same city. It doesn't go anywhere. So it's it's not that kind of a fantasy, if you see what I mean. But yeah, no, we definitely use, um, use screen comparisons. Nice. I, I actually used The Godfather as a comp title when I was pitching it to my agent in the first place. So, so yeah, comp titles don't necessarily have to be books or books in the same genre. It has to be something that evokes the same sort of thing feel yeah 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 exactly well i think so anyway but work for me yeah got a question here um from another listener on twitter who says when it comes to characterization what steps do you take to ensure that your readers are connecting with your characters and is that even something that you try to achieve oh, it's do you know what? it's not really i mean i think when I'm writing it, if I'm not connecting with a character, then I sort of think, now this this person just doesn't work. You need to change something. You've written a written a wrong or whatever. But I mean, I I don't write characters to be characters in a book. I try and write them to be actual people. And some actual people aren't very empathetic. You know what I mean? They, they're just not. And I think you wouldn't want the whole cast to be like that. If there's a character you think oh, I hate this bloke, I wish somebody would hurry up and stab him, then. You know, there's some people I wish someone would hurry up and stab. So I don't see that there's a problem <laughs> with that necessarily. It's quite interesting because um, <coughs> you've said it yourself. Your your main character, Thomas Piety, he's he's not a hero, um, but no. like he is a very almost charismatic character who, who you you want to root for and like. Yeah, so exactly how, how did that. you go about sort of like doing that, he's, like creating him? Well, he's he's one of the archetypal gangster types. Is he a Michael Corleone or your Tommy Shelby kind of person. And they, they tend to be the sort of person that do well in organised crime. There's, you need to be charismatic. You need to have your men and anyone in your organisation ferociously loyal. 
and just being scary isn't going to cut it to that extent. Mm. So they've they've got to love him. They've got to want to follow him. But yeah, he's a completely self-serving bastard. Of course he is. He's a gangster. You know what I mean? But he's also, he grew up dirt poor as an abused child in the slums of Ellenburg, which is where he returns to after the war. And I'll be a bit careful of spoilers here, but in founding his criminal empire, he's a he's a bit of an old school gangster, like um, like Vito Corleone, in that he protects his people. Yes, they have to pay him protection money to protect them from him, but he will also protect them from other people, and he keeps law and order on the streets, and he he calls protection money taxes. You pay your taxes to live on his street. Nice. And he keeps the peace and law and order and provides welfare for anybody. You know, he won't see anybody starve to death on his streets for lack of work kind of thing. And you think, yeah, he's a gangster and he does this and that and the other. So he's a government then, isn't he? He taxes the population, <laughs> runs the police and provides state welfare. It's, not, it's a developing theme throughout the book that if you look at organised crime and you look at formal government, they're in a hell of a lot of difference. They start to converge. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. That's a cool test. That's, that's a pet theme of mine, that one. It, it comes more and more to the fore as you go through the series. Is theme something that you're consciously thinking about when you're writing a book? Oh, no, not in a high school English lit sort of way, no. But I've got a, I've got a sort of th- thing I want to say. And by the end of book four, I think I've well and truly said it, shall we say. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. But you'll have to wait till August to find that out. Nice. Nice. Dirk, you had a question? Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, uh, was going to ask, what is, what is your background in writing, uh, Peter? Do you have uh, a, creative writing, a creative nope. writing MFA? Or... I have not had a creative writing lesson in my life. Me neither. Um, I finished high school just, and that's where me and education parted company, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So, no, I'm absolutely completely self-taught. I wrote, uh, well, Wolf of the Rose Throne is my second series, so I had three urban fantasies published by Angry Robot before, uh, before I wrote Priest of Bones. And I wrote the first one of them by accident, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> so, uh, what, like yeah, you just had a pen I, I in your know. hand, a bit of paper, and you fell over and, oh, there's a novel. Oh, oh look, there's a book. Well, it wasn't far off it, to be honest. So I used to be on a a writing forum on a site called SFF World years and years ago. And they used to do little monthly writing competitions and sort of flash fiction type of things. And I did quite well at that. And I thought, oh, it's quite fun, this. And then yeah, they, I they did a... I, I realized I lied. I did take a creative writing course my freshman year in college. Oh, okay. I'm not be part of the show anymore, super, Dirk. Super, super introductory courses and screenwriting courses, I don't think really count as creative writing, but. Maybe. Oh, do you know? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, yes and no. I mean, we don't study prose. We do study style. There's a certain, mm. but the style has to serve, has to very much serve a very strict format for screenplays. They're a different animal. Um, you don't put, okay. fan, you can't have any fancy prose. Um, you can't, there, there are certain things you simply can't do um in screenplays so okay so i never never written it's, for the it's screen. very it's very more uh, to me it's more a craft than it is okay. a, uh, uh, an yeah. art like creative writing though putting together the story and the structure and stuff like that i guess goes more mm. into 
creative writing. But that's, no, that's I, most, I think it's definitely my background. Definitely a different skill set. I mean, I tried to try. I was commissioned to write an audio drama script mm. for Black Library when I was writing for them. Oh, fuck, mm. that was an absolute disaster. We gave up in the end. <laughs> keep the fee, keep this crap, just go away and never talk about that door again. Go to think about. <laughs> I couldn't do it to save my life. It's a completely different thing, isn't it? Really well, some is. people do the, the challenge with it. back and forth really well, and some people just, just can't. No, no, it didn't work for me at all. But Why you have written that... for, for Black Library before. You have got a few. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I did quite a few short stories for them. Yeah, but I just have to time anymore. To be honest with you. But um, no, well, it's quite. They're quite fun to do. But I've, I'm not into the whole space marine thing. Most of them wanted me to write Primarchs, and I was like, you know, I'm just not interested in this. Did, did so you write I, about I, Imperial Guard? Because oh yes, Imperial absolutely. Guard's right up your alley. Uh, yeah, Imperial Guard all the way. Yeah, represent yeah, good old Astra Militarum because they're just. Men and women, grunts yeah. on the ground. They're not transhuman super beings. I can't get interested in transhuman super beings. I want to write about, you know, your proper mudfoot soldier yeah. up to his neck in a fox LB shot at, scared out of his wits, because people can relate to that. Yeah. You can you can imagine what that must be like to an extent, you know. But these sort of eight-foot giants tromping around in power armor, I can't relate to what that's <laughs> like one little bit, you know what I mean? Like Didn't one of your Black Library stories actually win an award? No, no, it was a finalist for the um, the Scribe Awards. No Hero. Mm. This was the story, which I, one I was quite proud of. I must admit. Yeah, they uh, they actually sent that to me when I when, when they approached me and I and you know said Do you want to write a, a Black Library story. They actually sent me your story to say, look, this oh, is cool. the thing we're after. Mm. Oh. Hey, did you so, do it, Neil? I did. I wrote. I wrote two uh, Black Library stories, both around Imperial Guard as well. Because oh. much like you, I was like, I just want like the, the the guy who he's just a soldier, and there's all these you know, yeah, like demigods basically all fighting around him, and he's just trying to get through. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. Yeah, that's what appeals to me about it as well. Yeah. So I, 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 the first one I wrote was just uh, it was entirely set within a, a tank, one of the sort of like super heavy Bane Blade tanks, and it was just. One person trying to survive while this tank's rumbling through a battlefield, and there's all. Oh, you know what? I think monsters. I read that and didn't. I think I read that and didn't clock it was you. To be honest, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that's in one of the anthologies they sent. Me. Yeah. There's, like, uh, what was yeah, your? There's, there's another one as well, I think. But yeah, all, all about the Imperial Guard for for me. Mm. Absolutely. Mike, you also wrote for uh, the Black Library, which for people who yeah, don't know, see, that's Warhammer 40k. I was... I, yeah, I, it wasn't a, it wasn't Space Marine stuff. It was their Age of Sigmar or whatever. I wanted to write stuff about gods. I wanted to work the gods into the stories. And they were like, no. Hmm. <laughs> Come on. Didn't you? Still I guess that was too like big it? picture. And they were like, no, nah, that you can't do that. Make your smaller, your story smaller. And I was like, eh, no, so I, I did necromancers and shit like that. Okay. Cause you published something like uh, in the end, right? Yeah. I did three stories with them. Total. They're, they're quite precious about their law. You're not allowed to oh, um, God, just, step outside yeah. of the lines. No. Yeah. And you can kill as many people as you want, but don't say fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole thing doing time, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, I, I had to approach it from the point of view that I'm not really writing stories here. I'm writing advertising copy to sell toy soldiers. Once you, <laughs> once you get your head around that small technicality, it starts to make a bit more sense. Yeah, yeah that, that's logical. Yeah. That's pretty logical. Yeah. So Peter, it was, it was fun to do, but yeah, you have to learn so much about mm. stuff that 
personally, I couldn't give a rat's ass about, do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> if you, you get the wrong type of ammunition in the wrong type of gun, they will know and they will tell you off. And oh, say, yeah. oh, for the love of God. <laughs> one of the ones that came up for me was uh, I, I tried to have a character, like one of the Imperial Guard characters, picking up a weapon from like a different race and oh, using yeah. it. And they're like, no, you can't do that. They wouldn't touch it. It's, it's against their religion. They can't yeah. touch a weapon from another race. I was like, but he just wants to survive. He just wants to not die. I know. Yeah. So Peter, you mentioned that you're, uh, you're pretty busy with these days with writing and stuff. Is that, are you full-time with writing part-time? Just what's the sort of Oh God, no, I wish. I've got a full-time job like most people have. I was, I did go full-time writing for 18 months. And I I managed to take a really good package when I left Hewlett Packard and I Mm. just sold the first two Wolf the Rose Throne books to Penguin. So I had a nice fat advance sent in my bank as well as my redundancy check. And I thought, oh, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's just be an author. That's sure. good, it? And it, but it was lovely. I'd spent a year and a half at home with my messes and it had a really nice time and a lot of days out. And I didn't write any more than I was writing around a full-time job. <laughs> I thought, well, this doesn't really make sense. I might as well be earning money and have a pension scheme and stock options again. Do you know what sure. I mean? So <laughs> I went back to corporate life, but in a less demanding job. So it's given me a bit more time to write. Because I mean, when I was at HP, I had to do on call one week in three. And, you know, you'd be getting phoned up at three o'clock in the morning because the data oh. center was on fire or whatever. And that's you that's you up until <laughs> you go to bed the next day kind of thing. And I was just yes. like, oh, no, no that, that was backbreaking. So I've just took a day job that I was only during the day now, which is as I do make me own hours really but sort of eight till four as a rule come home have a drink have dinner and come down to the office and crack on usually nice so you're, a bit, you're an evening writer at, uh, oh, oh, I'd, honestly if i didn't have to get up work in the mornings i'd be nocturnal i when i wasn't working i was sort of writing till two or three a.m oh. pretty consistent well no my wife wouldn't agree with you because she reckon i was used to wake her up when i come to bed but uh <laughs> yeah no it's it suits me i'm very much a, an evening guy. Okay, interesting. I've seen a thing on Twitter called 5am Write Club. These people that get up at four in the morning to do their writing before they go to work. And I think, oh, I can't think of anything worse. Just going to point down towards Fletcher. He's down yeah, there. I used to. I used yeah. to. Really? You're one of those. I was right? at four o'clock in the morning, get my two nice. hours in before I go to work. And well, I, mean, I think it's one of those things that's whatever works for you. And exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right yeah, or wrong I... way to do any of this, but oh God, I couldn't do it. I'm, I'm yeah. barely functional at seven in the morning. I'm on four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. I find like, by the time I got home from work, I, I couldn't write because I was too tired. And at that point, yeah, okay. whiskey and slump in a chair and stare at a wall, mm. you know. <laughs> that's all I could manage. That's a good oh, there's no whiskey involved in writing at night. There very yeah. much is whiskey involved. But, you know. It's funny you mention that because one of the tweets um, that I saw someone asked me was, uh, what was it? Uh, Could you exist in a world without whiskey? From Tim. Oh, well, I suppose there's always brandy and rum. And- <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be, wouldn't be my first choice. I mean, to me, creative juices are a light amber in color and come in a bottle <laughs> that says whiskey on it. <laughs> we should, we I should must admit, through, a, um... through listening to Priest of Bones and the sequels, it did make me want to try brandy. I'm, I'm more of a whiskey mm. drinker myself, yeah. but, you know, Thomas Piety I'm, I'm brandy at a rate of knots. I know, I'm forever getting readers asking me to recommend my favourite brandy. I don't actually drink brandy. It's just like, I haven't got whiskey in this world. They've got brandy, so that's what he drinks. <laughs> what are the other common um, sort of like listener questions or, or feedback or things that they pick up and talk to you about in your books? 
know what? I get asked more about the bloody cat than I do about my books. <laughs> <laughs> accidentally made the cat a bit of an internet sensation. <laughs> this is like Rob with his dog. As soon as you're an yeah. author and you pop an animal out there, people just, just go crazy for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Right. Nobody wants to know about my books. They just want to know what Beagle Face is up to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know the feeling, yes. Yes, I think if you if you go to hashtag stand the railway cat, you can find just about every picture of my cat I've ever taken. But, nice. um, yeah, so I get, I get asked about that a lot. Um, what else? Do, what else do people ask me? Quite a few people have picked up that Ellenberg is basically just Edinburgh spelled differently, which is kind of cool. But I mean, well, why make a city up when you've literally been there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it already feels like a fictional city anyway. The one time I visited, so. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's well, it? well yeah. placed. <laughs> no, just it has like so many weird geographic details. So it has that massive castle that's on a mountain in the middle of a city with mm-hmm. this sloping right. road leading up to it. And you're like, this is such basic geography. So unrealistic. It, it's it really great. Is bonkers, isn't it? This is what it's happens really when you great. build on an extinct volcano, you know? Yeah. It's is that, is that yeah. where it comes from? On yeah, an extinct yeah. volcano? Whoa. Yeah. Well, no the sea is what's left of the volcano and the massive crag of basalt with the castle on top presumably was an eruption at some point in the dinosaur age absolutely no idea but that is so cool but wow. oh it's an amazing city it just yeah, yeah. does not look or feel like a modern capital city you think, not at where, all where's, where are the skyscrapers and shit and all, they're, all, they're all in glasgow edinburgh looks like this deal with it you know what I mean? exactly far out that's awesome um couple of other quick ones before we wrap this episode up. The first one is, what would you say is your biggest strength as a writer? And then you can follow it up uh, just so you don't get too big-headed by talking about what you think is your biggest weakness as a writer. So biggest oh, strength, my biggest biggest strength as a writer. I it's think one of those probably... job applications, isn't it? Where you're like... It is. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be asked what I want to be in five years' time in a minute. Sure I think one of my biggest strengths is dialogue, to be honest. I was thinking if you're reading a book and the character's dialogue sounds like dialogue in a book, someone's fucked up somewhere because it just shouldn't. It should sound like people talking. And I I think I'm quite good at that. I'm, I'm prepared to be corrected. I'm not precious about it, but I think that would be my answer. Nice. As for my weakness, as a man who wrote a trilogy that is four books, planning. <laughs> yeah. So... I, I like to do a, a plot and an outline and everything before I write. Mm. And I outlined Priest of Bones. And that turned into Priest of Bones and Priest of Lies because I thought, oh, God. Luckily, it wasn't under contract then, so I could do what I like. And I outlined Priest of Grounds, which was going to be the third and final book. Now, this is after the first two have been published. I'm, I'm writing away on Priest of Crowns. And I've got a 15 page outline in front of me and about 90,000 words on the document, and I'm on page fucking one of the outline. This is like, Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) So my wonderful editor, Joe Fletcher at Joe Fletcher Books, very kindly agreed that book three could be book three and four. Nice. Winner. That's all right then. Heck yeah. I'll I'll chop it in half. That's the logical thing to do. Chops outline in half, reads outline the first half. Well, it's shit now, isn't it? Because it just stops. This isn't book shaped. This is half a book shaped because that's exactly what it is. It's half a book. So all the plot gymnastics I had to go through to make Gallows work as a book in its own right. With I just I'm never ever ever doing it again. <laughs> I had to change who died when and move great political events around, and then nothing else worked after that because I'd moved bits. Oh, oh. 
So yes, Pete is not good at planning books. Let it be known. <laughs> nice. Um, and final question as we close out this episode, you can only give, let's say you could only give one bit of advice to an aspiring writer out there. What would it be? Apart from buy all your books and just... Well, up there, yeah, it goes, it goes without saying. Read a lot and read a lot of different genres. Don't only read your own genre. But yeah, read a lot. And pay Sorry. attention. The most important thing. There's a difference between reading and paying attention. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have, you have to learn to read as a writer. That's a real skill. A it's a skill that has to be developed. Yeah, I be, find... It can be, it can be diffi di difficult to look at how a chapter is structured, how mm -hmm. the lines are written, how the dialogue flows. Um, it can be, it can be hard. It can be. Yeah. Really hard. I, I find myself, if I'm reading something, I think is really good. Um, trying to stop myself enjoying it and start reverse engineering how it works. Exactly. And why yeah, I'm enjoying it, which does kind of suck the joy out of life, but it's, it's how you learn. I think yeah. definitely. At, yeah. at least early on. I mean, I taught mm. film and I told my students, if I didn't ruin their enjoyment of films for at least a year, I wasn't doing my job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see exactly <laughs> what you mean. Dirk, enemy of fun. <laughs> yeah. Ultimate fun, please. Great. Yeah. Like, I mean, writing really does kill your enjoyment of reading. To, to, see, I, I haven't found People that. are better at I, I can't really tell, turn off that. my editor brain. I, it, no, mine, just... did for a, mine did for a while, sort of, but not anymore. I, can, I actually enjoy books almost more now. I um, agree with that because I think it makes really, you appreciate really how good. hard it is. I think it just like to make you appreciate okay how hard the books like... are. Yeah, that is fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think it lifts your taste and then hopefully leads you to better reading experiences because of that. And then also makes you appreciate the books more because you know how hard it is to actually put a great story together. That's my thoughts on it, at least. Mm. Yeah, and I think you're right. Awesome. All right. Well, that is a good place to end this episode. Peter, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate you uh, joining us again. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been good fun. Thanks. Excellent. Dude. Um, if you want to support this show, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Wizards Warriors Words. Um, we're going to have some bonus episodes up there at some stage. So if you want more ramblings and banter between us, um, you can go check it out on there. Um, thank you again, everybody, for watching or listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Cheers, everyone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.